0: Once enough parents, once enough mothers begin to recognize the full impact of these toxic chemicals and the pollutants on their families, watch out. Things will begin to change.
1: Welcome to On the Mission with Norwex Learning Network. I'm Amy Kadora. I created this show to help raise awareness about issues that can impact our quality of life including harmful chemicals, plastic pollution, and sustainability. We'll also explore the simple changes that you can make to improve you, your families, and the planet's health. Welcome to the final podcast in my three-part series with Dr. Bruce Landfair, professor of health sciences at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver, British Columbia, and principal investigator for a study on childhood exposures to toxic chemicals. Dr. Landfair and I sat down at Leadership Conference 2021 to discuss some of the key steps that parents and grandparents can take right now to help reduce harmful chemicals and therefore lower body burden in our homes thinking about the the technology side of it and and thinking about the complexity of trying to, to rely on genetics and genetic research and genetic editing, if you will, versus again, what are those simple steps that we can take upstream, to use your phrase, to try to keep it from happening in the first place and putting a lot more research dollars into that and proving that that can make a huge difference.
0: Right, and a lot more regulatory action to actually protect us. And I think yeah. that's, we know enough. We we absolutely need more research and not just in prevention. We There's always room to understand more about how to prevent suffering. Right. But where we really need to act because we know enough is to stop using chemicals that are either toxic or suspected of being toxic or which have never been tested for their toxic effects.
1: So you're rolling perfectly into my next question, which is what can we do, you know, and, and we um, sometimes it can seem so overwhelming when we we talk about this, but always wanting to take that step back and say, okay, what are the steps that we as families and parents can take right now to start to have an impact on that body burden for ourselves and our children? So as you're looking at that, what would you say are the first key steps that we should be be taking.
0: So um, I wanna frame this in two ways. What can we do in the short-term and what must we do in the long-term? In the long-term, it's critical for us to uh, demand that our public health agencies, our regulatory agencies, uh, make sure that we're not being exposed to toxic chemicals in the first place. And And I say that because I do this for a living and and I can only do so much to protect my family, right? So it's not that we we lack the expertise, it's that there's just the chemicals are just so widespread and we're tackling them one at a time in terms of our research, in terms of our advocacy efforts, oftentimes too. So that's gotta be the ultimate goal. In the interim, in the meantime, what can each of us do in our own homes? Um, There's actually quite a few things that can help reduce exposures. And I'd start out with what we eat and and, and the food that we prepare. <clears throat> so um, we know that organic food tends to have lower residues of pesticides or lower contamination with pesticides. It's not going to be foolproof, but it's definitely, it's definitely much lower. Uh, we also have some early evidence that it's more nutritious uh, and it's better for the soil. And again... It's not essential for us to feed the world, to rely on these pesticides. So organic is a good place to start. Trying to avoid packaging and heavily processed food, which will oftentimes uh, introduce things like phthalates. Um, These are chemicals that are oftentimes associated with plastics and vinyl. They are antiandrogens. They lower testosterone. That's not a good thing. And um, you know, at one we were talking about this replacement of one chemical with another. That's clearly happened with phthalates, where early early on some phthalates were identified to be toxic. They were voluntarily taken off the market and replaced with other phthalates that were later shown to be toxic and have similar types of toxicity. So this idea of constantly replacing one chemical with another similar one that hasn't been studied yet and therefore hasn't been proven toxic really has to stop. The other one, a big one for food is bisphenol A. And even though, you know, we we all thought we did a great thing by stopping using water bottles with BPA, they did in fact, in some cases, replace them with other types of BP chemicals that are just as bad. Uh, But they're also oftentimes found in canned foods today. And so what we've done in our household, uh, in addition to moving away from canned foods, we have almost no canned foods in our house. Uh, We make most of our food from scratch. Um, Beans was a hard one, right? Getting beans when we don't use canned foods, but now the instant pot allows us to make beans pretty quickly. And so no canned foods. Tomato sauce uh, was another hard one, but you can get it in bottles. And so we've moved to that. Um, and, And we're not You know we're not overzealous about it we do what we can we go out to rest a restaurant we don't demand that they feed us organic food but we do what we can particularly in our household to minimize exposures um and then we go on you know about just living our life um the other thing is uh and and this has happened with groups like non-toxic neighborhoods out of Irvine California they've been working with communities around the country and even now the world to eliminate uh, pesticide use on playgrounds, in schools, sports fields, even along highways uh, because they're unnecessary. Those are cosmetic and there are alternatives, right? Growing native plants along highways is much better than using glyphosate. Uh, And they've been wildly successful. We have a number of provinces up here that don't allow pesticides uh, for cosmetic use, and you know, those have been linked with IQ deficits in kids, ADHD in children, and even childhood leukemia. And so these are, these are low-hanging fruit. Get rid of the pesticides around your house. Um, I've also tried to, to encourage my children, I have three children, they're all daughters, not to use cosmetics, uh, lotions, and, and other, and fingernail polish, for example. It's been really, it was really hard, particularly when they were adolescents, because, of course, they're bombarded with these billboards and advertisements that say, if you don't use these products, you're not beautiful, which, of course, is just crap. But, you know, that's the message. Um, it, It was hard. But now in their 20s, two of the three use very little and one's very conscientious about what she uses. But, you know, every parent still has to go through this process. That's the that's the problem. Uh, So cosmetics are another big one. Um, Smoking, of course, try to minimize that. And and this is one of my favorite examples about how substantial these low-level exposures can be is, is secondhand smoke. So in Scotland, as well as in a number of other countries around the world, it was found that when smoking in public, places was banned, there was a 15% reduction in preterm birth among non-smoking pregnant women. 15%. There was a 25% reduction in very preterm births. That is children born before 34 weeks. Those reductions are better than any drug we have for preterm birth. And yet the vast majority of physicians I talk to know nothing about this. right? But that that's just secondhand smoke. And, so, and that's just one chemical. What we, what we know is that we are r- dramatically underestimating the impact of these toxic chemicals and pollutants on human health, whether it's death, whether it's autism, whether it's IQ deficits, because we've failed to, we've failed to acknowledge it. We're focused so heavily on spending our money for new and expensive drugs, genetics, stem cells, that we aren't even giving any consideration or certainly not enough consideration to the things that we could do to actually prevent disease. Now, here's one of the things that parents could really help with, and that is to ask themselves this question. Would you rather rely on some new expensive drug for your child when they develop ADHD or leukemia, some form of arthritis, or you yourself develop uh, complications during pregnancy or heart disease or lung cancer, would you rather rely on those expensive new drugs with their side effects, or would you rather we take steps today so that your child never has leukemia or that you never have coronary heart disease? Now that seems like an obvious question. There are no surveys about this out there in 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 the world. Nobody's even bothered to ask these questions. I did ask this question to pediatricians, to over a 1,000 pediatricians. Uh, This is over 10 different uh, universities and hospitals and national conferences. I asked them, it was a hand-raising survey, I asked them whether they would either, one, vote to increase funding to find ways to enhance the cure for childhood leukemia, which is arguably the poster child for finding a cure, or two, increase funding to find ways to prevent childhood leukemia. And I asked them to think about their children and grandchildren before they answered. Now, most people, when I ask them this question and I say, what percent of pediatricians do you think voted to increase funding to enhance the cure? The majority say over 50%, even over 70% of the pediatricians would vote to enhance the cure. But here's the thing, which is quite hopeful. Five out of the thousand pediatricians voted to increase funding to enhance the cure. Five, less than a quarter of a percent. So here's the tragic part of it. If you look at what the National Cancer Institute's Program on Childhood Cancer spends on prevention, 1%. So the NCI is not representing what pediatricians prefer I doubt they're representing what parents prefer. Why is that? Who are they representing? Now, it wouldn't be a fair question for me to ask that of a parent who already has a child with leukemia. But I would like to ask them a different question. Do you wish 20 years ago we spent more money to find ways to prevent childhood leukemia? That's the only fair question to ask them. You know, I, it's it's
1: this information is is so fascinating, and I think that um, there's we don't we don't realize the power that we hold in our own hands as individuals over this complex issue. And I think you just identified some key changes that even as we may feel overwhelmed with the um, the challenges of, of this issue. There are so many small things that each of us can do that absolutely are having an impact and and also realizing that um, you don't have to be perfect. You don't, to your point, you know, we we get that question a lot. Well, you know, I still like to color my hair or you know, I I still want to do this. Well that you know, just do what you can, reduce those chemical exposures where you can and be confident and know that that is gonna make a difference and that it is making a difference in this in this strategy, in this philosophy of prevention, right? Yeah. Let's not wait to develop a cure. Let's start now with all those steps we can take for prevention. So I love that,
0: I love yeah. that. Well, and I, I, I modify what you said just a little bit. Yep. What each of us does, if we were doing it in isolation, it has very little impact. But if we got together and we each did just a little bit, that all moved us in this direction, then the impact would be profound. And in fact, we've seen that in the past. Um, it was only, so now we're we're uh, celebrating the, the uh, 100th anniversary of women demanding the right to vote. One year, two years after uh, women had the right to vote, this bill called the Town Shepherd Act, the first major public health bill was passed that provided for funding for home nurse visitation, for clinic visits for children. Um, it would not have happened, but for women demanding the right to vote. And there are, you know, tapes of conversation of the congressman saying, "We, we better do this, or we're not going to be reelected." Um, and I think that's what that's what it's going to take. But once enough parents, once enough mothers begin to recognize the full impact of these toxic chemicals and the pollutants on their families, um, watch out. Things right. will begin to change.
1: Right. We've got to get that awareness. That's the number one step is getting that awareness, that recognition of the issue. Yeah. Yep. agree. Dr. Lanford, thank you so much for sharing today um, your knowledge, especially with us. I know that I personally learn something new, many new things actually every time we talk. And I I think as we bring that awareness to these issues that are maybe unknown, but are really oh so important, um, I know that that's gonna help to inspire our consultants and customers um, and people to learn even more about the impact that these harmful chemicals are having, these pollutants are having also on their families, helping them to make better choices for their families and ultimately you know, for all of us and even for the planet as a, as a byproduct of that. So thank you so very much for helping us to become uh, a part of the solution um, to this important issue. So thank you so much again for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Amy. And thank you for helping to spread the word.
1: Thanks for listening to the third and final podcast on body burden with Dr. Bruce Lanfear. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to share with friends and family and don't forget to follow and subscribe.